Hi, I'm Mark Renner. This is Victory Over Sin. Christ paid for my life. God's perfect sacrifice. Sufficient for me. Good Saturday afternoon to you, Treasure Valley. This is Mark Rennick, and this is Victory Over Sin. We take the first part of the show where we try to explain to you what our mission is and who funds us and all that good stuff. Victory Over Sin is funded by Systemic Change of Idaho, which is a fully encompassed advocacy organization for the Southwest Council for St. Vincent de Paul. And what we attempt to do for them is to educate you out there in radio land, what it's like to be on parole or to come out of parole or come out of prison. And we do that in several different ways. One is this radio show. And if you go back and look on the archives of KBXL, uh, you can see almost well over, over, we're just approaching our 100th show. So we've been doing this for a while. You can go back and take a look at who's been on the show. We've had uh, state elected officials. We've had directors of different agencies. And you can go back. It's become a pretty good wealth of work for those who help people like myself and who have been incarcerated. So go back and take a look at that and take a look at that. It's also on the webpage of Systemic Change of Idaho. All those shows are listed. In addition to that, we also do a very impressive PowerPoint that we will be happy to show to your service group, to your uh, church, to your workplace, whatever you would like. We'll come out, show you about a 20-minute presentation on what it's like to be on parole, give you some of the facts. We would argue that you, the Idahoan, do not know how much it costs, not only taxpayer dollar-wise, but emotionally for the families of those of us who have been incarcerated. And we make that presentation. And the cool thing about this is it is actually delivered by a person who's been incarcerated themselves. So you see them stand a little bit straighter, a little bit taller, and they talk about what they experienced by presenting those facts. And usually that leaves a spark for discussion, et cetera, and hopefully a learning experience for your group or your church group. Towards the end of the show, I'll let you know how to get out in contact with me if you're interested in doing that, having that presentation at your workplace, or if you're interested in anything we say on the show today, we'll be happy to let you know how to do that. In addition to that, we also have linked real strongly with a group called Just Leadership USA at this point. Uh, it is an organization that's an advocacy organization for the nation, and they take people who have been incarcerated and attempt to make better leaders out of them. The, the analogy I always like to make is it's like uh, AARP is for the senior citizen, just leadership USA is for those of us who have been incarcerated. Makes us better leaders, returns us back to our community, and hopefully affects change across the country. As you're aware, Many people have been incarcerated and have felony records in this country. We're over 70 million people who have a felony conviction. And if we all united as people who are convicted felons, we would be a powerful force. And that's what Just Leadership USA wants to do. We're going to talk about another event that's coming up with uh, our work in terms of Cookies for Max with our guest here in just a second. So if you hang on a minute, we'll be right back. The United States has the highest percentage of its population in prison in the world. That's one in 200 Americans are currently serving time in a federal or local prison. As of May 2017, Idaho has 8,223 men and women incarcerated and another 17,201 on probation and parole. So upon release from prison, who works with these individuals and families to help them transition back into our community? This is done by what we call Returning Citizens Resources and coffee shop. We offer them a cup of coffee and some resources and information to help get them on solid footing with their faith, their recovery, and to begin their new life as our neighbor. 
It's designed for the offender's first stop from the institution. If you'd like to help us help them, please contact Mark Rennick at 629-8861. That's area code 208-629-8861. And if you're out in the desert needing any help for your transition, we pay for that call. I thank you. Hope you're having a good Saturday afternoon. I'm pleasure. It's a pleasure to have a good old friend of mine in the studio. He's been on the program once before, and people come back because we like them and because they are doing good work for us. So, Mr. Jim Snow is back in the studio. Mr. Snow, how are you, sir? Good afternoon. I are I are fine. You are fine. I That's are good. Fine. As some of you know, and many of you don't know, Mr. Snow and I were incarcerated together, and he's been on the show before when we when he moved up north, but he's back. He's been working with us in our efforts in the morning. Um, tell me a little bit about Mr. Snow that we don't know. Are you a native Idahoan, sir? I am not a native Idahoan, though. I've lived here most of my life. I was born in Indiana. I uh, lived there for probably all of three months when I was born, and so I don't know anything about Indiana. Yeah. Nothing about Indiana except I don't think you're missing much. I, I don't think so. Of course, Indianans would probably disagree. Hopefully not too many people from Indiana listening. Well, hey, hopefully. If, give me a call if you're really yeah, upset about yeah. that. yeah. Yeah, call Mark, don't call me. <laughs> so how did you get to uh, Idaho from there, from here? Now, Dad's a preacher, was a preacher, still considers himself a preacher. Um, moved around a lot. Mm-hmm. Idaho, California, Montana, Alaska. Just following Dad around preaching, and then I set out on my own and and found all the right, uh, all the wrong paths to all the wrong places and uh, ended up here today. There you go. And um, your dad's still alive and kicking. He's right? alive and kicking. Just saw him yesterday, 90, 96, I think. And That's fantastic. He still visits the old folks. That's right. <laughs> I love it. That's because most, uh, if you don't know this, most, I just, my mom just passed. And so I know what it was like for her to live to 90. So I can imagine what 96 it would be like. That was, must have been an experience. Uh, you and I have known each other for, I think, going on 12 years or so. I said 10, you said more. Yeah, so I think it's closer to 12. We met where? Uh, IMSI, Idaho Maximum Security Institution G-Block. That's right. A little thing called Hope Community. Yeah, that was a, you've heard me talk about this if you've listened to my voice before, but that was an experimental program that they did at Max for about three years uh, in which they took a therapeutic model and made a faith-based community out of it. Uh, it was powerful for me. It's like I think Jim and I pretty much went to Bible college. I speak for myself. I went to Bible college. Jim had a lot of this knowledge because he was the son of a pastor, so he knew a lot of that stuff. But we were out there for three years, and it was an experiment that was well worth the time, don't you think? I think so. Yeah. I think so. And then what we did actually when I got out of prison, we started uh, doing some other stuff. But uh, first we were thanking people who were volunteers out there. And somebody said, hey, you ought to make this a nonprofit. So we named it IMSI Hope Community Phase 2 with the odd name that two reasons. One is you can easily find it on Google. And also in addition, kind of to let the department know that they did something really positive out there between 2006 and 2009. They ought to try it again. Would you agree with uh, that? We had a, we had a, you and I had a unique experience at Max. Don't you yeah, think? It, it was. It was. It uh, had a lot of guys come in, all gung ho, and you find out who people are real quick over a period of time. It's hard to when you say because we had a reputation out there that if you came out and lived with us, that you got more play, quote unquote, or you got a break with the parole commission, and it was 
my experience, and maybe we can just talk about that a bit, that people would come out there and they think, oh man, I can do this. And it's real hard to live a changed life, quote unquote, 24 hours a day when you're living with 36 of us in one building. Yes, especially when you got to live the prison mentality or, or choose to live the prison mentality. Uh, you've got to, you either, you either make a choice to not live the prison mentality or to live the prison mentality. And those that chose to live the prison mentality usually didn't last very long in the program. Yeah, they didn't really. It was unfortunate, but, you know, and again, all of it was a learning process for me. I don't know about you. Would that, was that the same for, for you? Yeah, it, it, I found out who I was and who I wasn't. It was even even being a preacher's kid, uh, the hangover from the old lifestyle, and uh, the prison mentality. You have to you have to fight it every day. Otherwise, it'll suck you in and you go back inside and lose your cushy place in the community. And I mean, it was we say it was cushy, and it actually probably by prison terms it was, it was. because uh, we did get to live together in one unit. And uh, we we were responsible for, sounds like a privilege. We were responsible for um, all the suicide watch, which was a privilege. Um, we uh, there only about when we were there, there were only about fifty people in the whole institution that were able to walk around, and we were a part of that group. Um, we also did uh, dog. We had dog program early on. We were the second institution of the dog program, so we had always had dogs, and we always had things to do. And we were the workers of Max. I think. When we started it, they were skeptical about what we were doing, but we won staff over after yes, a period of time. I think so. We did. So, yeah, that was good. And like I said, we still see the remnants of it. I try to keep up, Jim and I try to keep up with all the people who are there and just kind of keep in touch with them because it's become a fraternity of sorts that I was there, et cetera. And we're still waiting on a few extra people that are about to get out soon to come out here and help us hopefully real soon. Kind of like old home week. Yes, that's right. And what we're going to do when we run out of names that have been in there coming out, I'll have to do something else. Yeah. Jim and I also, uh, Jim works with me in the morning from 9 to 12 at uh, what we call a coffee and uh, donut kind of experience as the first day out. We try to get everybody who's coming out of incarceration to stop by our office. And what we do in that vein is to give them a voucher for some clothes and then offer them support because as you're getting out of incarceration, one of the first thing you want to see is somebody that's kind of lived that life and can help them kind of decompress, if you will, in terms of all the stuff that's going on in their world and get ready to attempt to live on parole. And Jim is uh, uh, the, certainly one of our key people that helps us do that. It's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's never dull, is it? Oh, no. Oh, no. Every time you pick somebody up, for me, every time I pick somebody up, it's, it reminds me of where I was exactly. and how easy it would be to go back there and, and some guys get out and they're all gung-ho and come in the next morning, pull up the computer, and they're back in already. So it's, it's a challenge to get out. Yeah, it really is. And I think uh, the thing that uh, people might not expect is that you would think it would be stereotypical and it's all the same. And it's just absolutely no, never the same. Never the same. I mean, we find we picked up a guy today too and it's like it's just totally different. And uh, we've been doing it for almost a year now, and it's we are the me- method, if you will, for somebody that doesn't have any rides. So if you're listening to us out in the desert and you don't have anybody to um, uh, pick you up, you at the end of the show, again, we're going to let you know how to reach out and connect with us. And if you do so, then uh, Jim, myself, or one of our staff will come. Because we're building up a pretty good support of volunteers and staff in the morning, don't you think? I think so. Yeah. And I think it's uh, unique to take um, 
always good for us to take out a volunteer to see what it's like to pick somebody up. I mean, you and I, after a few times going back and picking people up, it becomes routine. But it was hard for me at first to go out there. It, it, it is. Go through that gate and have it closed behind <laughs> you. And thinking that they're not going to let you yeah. out. Yeah. So, uh, but it, uh, we've developed, it's always interesting to watch how the volunteers do it and how they react to it. But we've got a good group of volunteers now that are helping us. And all of this will expand in 2019. Uh, with the work that Jim's doing, James and some, Cindy and our staff, we've got a really good group of people. So we're looking forward to that. What we're here really to talk about, at least for a little bit, is Cookies for Max. So let's talk about Cookies for Max. That was a program that began almost when you and I were out there at Max. The community gathered together, and because everybody at the Maximum Security Prison is locked down 23 hours a day, seven days a week for the most part, uh, the community always came together traditionally, and I don't know when it started, but it's got to be, 15 years ago or so, uh, and they gave cookies to the institution, and then the institution kind of divvied them up, put them in brown paper bags, and then volunteers who were uh, worked out at IMSI as volunteer, religious court, religious volunteers, distribute them, you know, one day, but just before Christmas. And so a few years ago, our agency kind of took over the lead with that, and so what we're pleading for now is for you to get involved. If you would like to give cookies for the gentleman who live at Max. Again, at the end of the show, I'll let you know how to reach out to us and, and let us know. We'd like to take your cookies, or you can drop them by one of our partner churches in terms of 10 Mile Christian, Vertical Church, uh, Cloverdale Church of God. Uh, who am I leaving out? Any almost Common any ground. Common Ground Biker Church, almost any Catholic church is uh, pretty much in charge. We'll get the cookies to us. Anybody I'm leaving off? No, I can't. I think we got, but oh, I think uh, CUNA Calvary, CUNA Calvary. So there's a lot of them out there who support us. And if you need cookies, you can always take them there or give us a call at the end of the show. That was a, it was really a, let's talk about how that felt to get those cookies when we were out there. Oh, goodness. When I first started doing it, when I was out there, it was, they allowed homemade baked products in. And, uh, it, 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 it was a breath of fresh air. It was a little touch of mom's home cooking, if you will. And it just reminded us that there are people out there that really do care. And uh, we took in excess of 40,000 cookies. The last time I took them out two years ago, we took an excess of 40,000 cookies out. And that's a lot of cookies. That is a lot of cookies. Now, the stipulation has changed a little bit. It can't be homemade cookies. They have to be store-bought cookies. But again, I think as as early as four months ago, staff and people have already talked to me like, we're going to do cookies again. You're going to do cookies again. This is something they really look forward to. And you can think that, oh, that's no big deal to go buy, um, you know, a packet of cookies at the dollar store or something for that. But that's real powerful in terms of something different for those guys. And it is the volunteer who they see kind of walking around the tiers that, you know, maybe they're not listening to when they come knock on their door and say something uh, of a Christian nature, if you will, but they'll take those cookies and it'll kind of spark that thought. And no matter how you, any way you put it, it's really a positive thing for them because it breaks up the monotony of just what they get all the time. They get cookies and it's really exciting. Yes, it is. Yeah. I remember when we were out there, we used to divide the cookies up because I was at the end, towards the end of the time, I was a librarian. And so it was my job to divide them all up. And you just you imagine a room with, 40,000 cookies in it, breaking them down and putting them in bags to hand out to people. That was, uh, man, we look forward to that every year. 
Get it, you got the extras. You got you the got crumbs. The That's right. Yes. You got always, the broken. All cookies. the good stuff, like the fudge and stuff like that. I'm sorry, guys. It wouldn't make it out there because it wouldn't be fair just to give out several pieces of fudge to just a few people. So we kind of kept that in the office. But uh, <laughs> don't tell anybody that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, that that's uh, so what we're trying to do is to encourage people to get involved uh, with us and it's uh, Cookies for Max. And the, t- the number where you can send me a check if you want to and you can just put cookies in the memo is 1775 West State Street and that's Suite 191. That's in Boise, Idaho, 83702. And uh, if you put just write a check out to IMSI, put cookies in the memo pad and we'll take care of it for you. What do you think about dealing with uh, the guys that we deal with on a daily basis? Tell me, you've been doing this a while f- with me. You left for a while, but you're back. Yeah, I live in a, I live in a transitional house, and it. I, I guess for those of you that have never been incarcerated or aren't familiar with transitional housing, imagine, if you will, just going down to every every other house on the block and picking at random somebody out of that house and putting them in your house. That's right. All kinds of personalities and preferences, and it, it, it's a uh, it's a real challenge. But people like Doug and and uh, Joseph Ivaneski and Massmer and a lot of these guys that do houses uh, got a heart as big as the world because to take complete strangers and just give them your house yeah. is is a real it's it's a challenge. Well, I think those of us would say, "Oh man, look at all that money they make!" And it's no, really not there's, a, there's it's no not money a, there's involved. There's no money involved at all. This no. is truly a labor of love. We got we got ten guys living in my house, so you can imagine the washing machine runs full time, the dishwasher runs full time, the hot water heater runs full time. So there are there are that and insurance, and it, it, there's a phenomenal amount of bills involved in providing housing for guys that otherwise would be down at the mission. Mm-hmm. That's true. And I think, too, with the guys, more importantly, the guys that we see that come through the office, let's comment a little bit on what it's like for the guys that we see as they come through. They either come through with this brash kind of bold, I know exactly what I'm going to do, or they're wide-eyed, I've never lived in Idaho. Speak a little bit to that, if you would. Well, there's two different kinds. I picked a guy up this morning. Uh, his mother <laughs> passed away in June, I believe it was, and he was... He was kind of mixed emotions because she left him uh, $35,000 in a trailer, a home. So he had that to look forward to. And the other side of the coin is the guys that we pick up that we take down to the mission and drop off. And that is their entire existence, what they have in a little paper bag and what the mission gives them. So there's, there's, it, it's, it's just a... Conglomeration. It is It is a wide variety of stuff. And I think you'll see, we always try to say, why did you choose this place or why did you choose that place? And we'll always work in that conversation about what do you believe or do you have a spiritual connection at some point in time? And it seems like to me that the people who do have that in their heart are the people who tend to succeed because uh, I think the recidivism is a lot greater than uh, Idaho states. But it seems like we see some pretty hapless people and we don't see as many people coming out who say, yes, I believe this, this, and this. Do you agree with that? Or This morning, the guy that uh, one of the case managers brought down to us, one of the first things he commented to me when I got him to the house was he wants to get to church. And he said that's what has kept him sane over the time that he has come to know God. Um, but yeah, if, if, if you don't have a foundation when you get out— um, you're 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 in trouble because it's easier to go back to the old ways than it is to. 
Well, I think too, there's a, to help me with whether you agree with this or not, but there's a tendency to that person that isn't connected like that is this, boy, I've got to make up for all this time I lost and I'm going to work hard and I'm going to do this. And, and even though their best intentions are that it will work, when it starts to go astray, then there's nothing to fall back on. And then they're right back into the same old rut that they've been in yeah, probably all their life. Get overwhelmed. They've got to get out. They've got to have a car. They've got to have a girlfriend. They've got to have a house. Mm-hmm. They've got to have a job. They've got to have all this stuff on day one. Yeah. And we just kind of tell them, stop, take a breath, get to where you're going to live, get your bed made, sit on your bunk for a while, and just, yeah. just relax. Yeah, I think it's, you have to uh, understand that it's different out here since even if you've been gone a year or you've gone two years, it's, a lot of things have changed, and so it really needs to be something that you have to get in touch with. So you're listening to our voice out in the desert today. Uh, understand that there's a process here and that it's not something that you can really rush, and it's something that everybody's going to do differently. And the thing to do is to find that, that strong network of people who can support you, and hopefully you find that if you're out there in the desert by going to the chapel and kind of connecting up with somebody so that you have a little bit of an idea about where uh, you're going to end up in a church-related situation, don't you think? Yes. Yeah, if, if you have a family, that's a good thing, but but family often is a trigger. Uh, I know a couple guys that got back together with their old girlfriend, and uh, she hadn't changed much, and so it, it wrecked his plans or their plans. So you get to, get to a church like Common Ground Biker Church where Mark and I go on Sunday mornings, it's just a bunch of people that didn't feel like they fit anywhere else, and they understand. Mm-hmm. Some of them have been incarcerated. Some of them are scooter riders, and some of them are just plain folks that uh, find companionship in common ground in Common Ground Biker Church. Yeah. I think that what we try to do is attempt to, to know that as you're out there, and if you're driving around and you've never come to our office, and you've even, you're on parole and that's, you're struggling with anything, drop by our office between the hours of 9 and 12, uh, Cindy Reels on our staff. She gets jobs for people who have been incarcerated. And uh, it's just a good environment to kind of cut and touch base with and to walk forward and say, hey, I just, this is something I'm having trouble with. And just come in and start talking to us. We always have stale donuts from Albertsons, uh, good people on Park Center. And Albertsons give us their bakery donuts on Monday morning. And usually we always have some coffee ready or we'll make some. So come by and take a look at it. And, uh, Check in. That's a hard thing to do. I think it's a hard thing to do when you really have to reach out to somebody and say, "This is boy, this is hard for me." Yeah, that and that's again that's that prison mentality that that you get ingrained in. You. I don't care who you are. Well, it's my in my my opinion. I don't care who you are. You go out there and you get that. You, you have to maintain a, a semblance of tough guy. I don't need any help. I've got you know. When I get out, I'll do this, or when I get out, I'll do that. And if you don't start doing something to get out. Now, when you do get out, you've got nothing. Yeah. So it, it, it's it's difficult. I've heard somebody say that you begin uh, your plan for release the day you go in, and that's yeah. uh, I think that there's a lot of validity in so. that. And uh, as you're out there too, you tempt to at least recognize that what you're doing out there in the desert is this facade that you're doing to survive there, and that that facade is not you. Don't believe that facade. So when you come back out, you learn to be honest and learn to share yeah. and to interact with people. Yeah, we see the guys that bring that facade out that, that don't ask for help because they can handle it. And I know my 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 experience, I was in four times and the previous times I got out, I can handle it and I'll do it the way I always did it. And it cost me 22 years of my life. Yeah, so. yeah and then when you get to be um, 
Mr. Snow, in my age, you kind of tend to look back and you look at those years and think, boy, I surely missed those years up. I'd what like to have those back, kind of. Yeah, what a waste. Yeah, it was. Well, waste in terms of some. Well, yeah. In terms of where you and I are now and what we're doing now, I think you, you, you may agree with me, you may not, but I get up every morning and I'm excited to do what I do. It's not, yeah. oh man, I've got to go here and watch to pick all these guys up from prison. No, I get oh. to come out and I get to help people. I get yeah. to support people and I get to hang around people who have that same dream that we do and bringing it back to, you know, systemic change of Idaho. What we're attempting to do really is to change Idaho. The way you, the Idahoan, views us as an incarcerated person, as a person on parole, we're going to let you know that we're, ju- we're your next door neighbor. You just don't even know it yet. So if we get more organized and kind of share, you need to understand we're just like you. And you know what? We're as messed up as you are probably too. So Yeah. Yeah. Anything else we need to share? Talk about family or anything for you? Your family's all scattered throughout. We brought you back here to live in Idaho, Boise. Yeah. Yeah. I had some lung surgery done and went up and stayed with my daughter for a while and that kind of went south in, in, a, in, a, in a good way. It wasn't a bad thing, but I uh, found I had no place else to go and the place I was living in was just a little, a little hovel and... So came back down here and talked to Mark and Doug and got back in one of the houses. And uh, so like you know, like Mark said, the, you never know who your neighbor is. I don't know what the percentage of people in Idaho that are incarcerated is or on parole, but it's huge. It's one in 33. One in 33. Adults are on probation, parole, or incarcerated. So yeah, look at your neighborhood and you can just about guarantee that somebody in your neighborhood has been yep. out there. That's true. Well, Mr. Snow, thank you so much for coming in today. Well, thank you. Yes, and uh, we look forward to it. If you're interested, again, we're talking about cookie money. We need cookies for Max. So you can uh, send me a check, put in there under the memo, put cookies for Max, and we'll make sure that every dollar that you send us gets put into cookies so that we will distribute to those. I need those in by December the 10th this year. So that address, again, is 1775 West State Street. Suite 191, that's Boise, Idaho, 83702. Mr. Snow, thank you so much for coming in, and thank you for the work that you do with me. I probably don't thank you enough. Yeah, you're welcome. Okay. <laughs> you talk about a nonprofit organization. This is a nonprofit, <laughs> is a non-profit. organization. We, got that. We, we understand that poverty thing. We got that poverty thing down. Yep, yep. <laughs> thank you, Mr. Snow. You're welcome. As you can tell, thank you, Mr. Snow, for coming in. He's a good friend, and um, we do good work. And we don't get a lot of money, but we do good work. If you're interested and you want to support us, us on any level whatsoever, your volunteer time, your money, your anything, uh, we, you can reach me at www.systemicchangeofid.com. You can send me an email at systemicchangeofidaho, all spelled out, at gmail.com. We're actually on Facebook at Systemic Change of ID. We're on Instagram, Systemic Change of ID. You can even call us on the phone at area code 208 Four seven seven one zero zero six. Look forward to talking to you next Saturday afternoon on Victory Over Sin.